I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, as always, joined, as always, as well, by Bernard Jackman. How are you, Bert? Very good, thank you. And delighted to be joined, we think, by Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie. Murray, how can we be sure it's really you after the events of the last couple of days? Yeah, traumatic couple of days for me. Um, I've prepared a public statement here, but uh, nah, thankfully my Twitter account is all back and there was no serious damage done, as far as I can see. If anyone got a weird DM... I apologise, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, but yeah, f- uh, got a Twitter hacking, but uh, all's well that ends well, and the tweets are back, so all good, Gav. You had a great attitude towards it, I have to say. I saw you saying to a couple of people, like, ah, it's only a few thousand tweets or whatever, you know. I think uh, a lot more people would have been irate. Uh, although, maybe difficult to be so furious with a hack. He's taking, he's take, he's taking the lyrics <laughs> from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's taking yeah the put it... He's, think he's following the process of dealing with... <laughs> I'm, moving on, I'm moving on tweet by tweet here, Gav. So, yeah, focus on the process, as Bert says. I nearly actually had to start from zero, to be honest, but uh, hopefully I didn't. Uh, you would have been back in no time. Uh, great to see you back into the swing of things. How are things otherwise, Murray? You all right? Yeah, great. Um, now that we're back, I suppose, in lockdown, really look forward to these chats, seeing your cork head and hearing your dulcet tones, as well as you, Bert. So, happy out now. <laughs> Yeah, we've loads to talk about today. Uh, in normal circumstances, we would have been probably looking ahead to games this weekend, and in doing so, we would have looked back over the Interpros over the weekend just gone. But given that we're not looking directly ahead to games this weekend, we might kind of sweep past the action from last weekend, defer a little bit to Murray's chat with Owen Tulin for the 42 members on Monday's pod, in which they went into great te- detail on those two Interpros. Uh, but it would be remiss of me not to ask you, Birch, about that last Connacht scrum from a coaching point of view, from a former player's point of view, and uh, I guess from a, a now a, a pundit slash analyst's point of view, what did you make of it, and, and could you figure out what they were trying to do? Could you see sense in it at all, or was it just a complete nosebleed towards the end of the game? Look, at it was a very poor, it was the worst shot selection they could have picked, to be honest, um, and they actually had a little bit of time. Um, there was time to actually get a call in and you could see, I've looked at it a few times, um, you could see Marmium uh, having spoken to Jack Carty um, and Boyle and he just wasn't happy with, uh, his body language wasn't happy with the decision, but they obviously backed us. Look, maybe they decided that they wanted to score, you know, close to the post and hence Boyle picking off the back was the, uh, was the safest option and then pick and go from there. But um, when you see the setup, I mean, you know, 15 v 13, um, Munster Fairness took a gamble uh, and scrummaged with seven. I suppose with, thir- with 13, you've, you've no ch- with two backs out, you've no choice. But they put CJ Stander on the blind side and brought Mike Haley into pressure at nine. And uh, yeah, Connacht just wasted a player stacked behind a scrum, which they do a lot, but you don't need to do it um, when you have when you've two-man overlap. And I think they should have put him over on, on the left wing and, and played... Played to the left rather than played to the right into into the blind side. So, um, the frustrating thing for Andy Friend and, and Nigel Carlin, etc., is it's one of those ones where you know um, hindsight's twenty twenty vision on a, on a Monday morning, like the op, like the decision not to to take the points against Bristol in the last play of the game, which is probably well, we'll see what happens with the cup or the European Cup, but probably cost them a a Challenge Cup spot. Um, and yeah, it's just uh. 
it's just very frustrating for them. But having said that, I mean, if they had won the game, it would have been one of the greatest robberies of all time. Uh, they were completely dominated by Munster defensively. Um, and credit to them, they you know they, they rallied near the end and found a little bit of space. But you know, over the course of the, the 80 minutes, they didn't deserve to the the win the game, but they had a shot to win it at the end and, and they picked a poor choice. Do you think it comes down to something simple then as completely overthinking it from their point of view rather than having some sort of psychological meltdown uh, in the way it was depicted by some because it, it felt inexplicable at the time when you actually removed yourself from it slightly and, and looked at it in the cold light of day you could understand probably the logic in going blind to begin with as you've laid out there but maybe there was a kind of an Occam's razor approach needed in a way you've got a two-man advantage just use it and, and don't try to overthink it or overplay it necessarily yeah I think I think so score to try and put the pressure on Carty to, to kick it um, I would say it, it was the key and the, the most the easiest way to score was to go through the hands to the left now they could have if they hadn't stacked that player to the uh, behind the scrum I think a, an 8-9-14 would have got would have got Porch in in the corner because Caesar Stander as I said was one of the they would have stretched them for speed there was 20 metres the problem was they stacked that winger quite quite close to the scrum as well so uh, Munster were very happy being tight but either way you got to throw a couple of passes there um, just to pick and go from the ace for me is it's too conservative it gives Munster a chance to get at the breakdown and you know over the course of 80 minutes Munster's defensive breakdown work was uh, was phenomenal really um, and once again you know they, they won a key turnover in the 83rd or 4th minute and, and win the game Just a quick word on Leinster Ulster Murray I know you got into it with Owen on Monday but uh, versus your expectations for that game how did it play out in reality to your mind like was was there anything that caught your eye um, or was it very much in the end sort of what we expected in that Ulster were kind of competitive there was a bit of a second half drop off from them and Leinster turned that learned that turned that screw a little bit not for the first time I was really impressed with how Leinster managed that tricky situation at half time 9-5 down Ulster, as you say, having been really competitive, especially defensively, I think they would have been frustrated, and Dan McFarland spoke about it afterwards, with the number of errors they made in the first half, and indeed in the second half, attacking-wise, putting ball down, a couple of poor decisions, getting turned over in, in promising positions on the pitch. So they didn't quite take advantage, and they probably felt they should have been even further ahead, maybe, at halftime. But as you say, in that third quarter, Leinster, they really impressed and it wasn't just about forward grunt, like a lot of it was that, yeah, it was composure and, and power and, and physical prowess and the type, but there was a lovely bit of variety in how they attacked. Myself and Owen discussed it on Monday. Um, you know, they changed the picture constantly for uh, the Ulster defence and there were inside passes, there was width on the ball, there was tactical kicking, there was all sorts of, of tools and weapons there in, in terms of how they went about getting back into control of the game. Again, credit to Ulster for, for pushing it all the way, but I think Leinster would have been really enthused by finishing out the game by denying them that bonus point, a, a kind of defensive grandstand in the end. Um, and they just proved, I suppose, that position that they're in. After the shock of the Connacht game, there was always going to be, as we discussed, high motivation. And you could see it from early in the game, double tackles slamming the Ulster ball carriers. Um, and delivering a really kind of comprehensive performance in the end, albeit coming through a, a challenge, which, again, we always say it's good for Leinster to get those challenges and, and be put in positions like that. Um, how many games have we talked about being too straightforward for them? So all in all, a really pleasing um, afternoon's work for them, especially now that there's no uh, game this weekend for them um, at senior level anyway. It was a nice note to, to finish on before 
that massive game against Munster in two weekends' time. Yeah, a little bit more clarity now with the calendar, whereas over the last couple of weeks when recording pods, there's been a, an element or a cloud hanging over us of, of uncertainty. And I have to admit, Murray, I'll, I'll stick with yourself as we get into uh, the lay of the land now. When it seemed likely that uh, a couple of Champions, Champions Cup rounds uh, were going to be suspended and the reality or the likely reality was that we would instead get a, a full throttle monster leinster pro 14 clash i was sort of hoping for the latter i was i was kind of looking forward to uh that interpro more so than the champions cup and that's not me going down the english slash french route of favoring domestic competition i think it's just because the champions cup has been so blighted by cancellations and uncertainty to have the clarity of like one one match that's going to feel like a final and a regular season game between these two teams when they can line out at full strength for the first time in, as far as I can remember, really, in, in the last couple of years, uh, just seemed really enticing. So it was a hell of a, I don't know, a hell of a caveat or a hell of a, a backup plan to land on our laps in uh, just over a week's time. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely cracking game, acid test for Munster, another test for Leinster. Uh, so every cloud and all that I suppose it's the big positive clearly to come out of this I really can't wait for that game I know everyone else in Irish rugby is the same the players are the exact same especially the fact that the St. Stephen's Day date was denied but this has almost worked out even better in terms of the strength of the teams as you mentioned in terms of a bit of a trial before the Six Nations for Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell watching on and assessing players where they're at even if you think of how Leinster and Munster are both going to select their back rows even or, or the competition in their back threes alone for the starting teams and then pit those players in a, a team against team context. It's it's really exciting in that sense and a, a really good warm-up, I suppose. The downside of it is that Connacht and Ulster are without games as things stand. There's a bit of chat that Connacht, um, the Pro 14 rather, were trying to bring one of their postponed fixtures back in for, for next weekend. Don't know exactly where that's at, but at the moment... There isn't a game for them. So that's obviously not ideal in terms of, of preparing players and having them that little bit battle-hardened as they usually would be. On the flip side, you can say, listen, they're going to be really fresh, those guys. Um, and obviously, it's not the biggest cohort of, of Ireland internationals from, from Ulster and Connacht, albeit they are hoping to have uh, good representation. So there's definitely downsides to it. I think the provinces all wanted to play. They wanted to get fixtures in these two weekends. Of course, they've been preparing to play. Um, but it is, I suppose an indication of the tricky nature of the Pro 14 with all the different unions involved, with cross-border involved in it as well, and, and trying to arrange those things on a short-term basis. As you mentioned with EPCR, that was that was the problem in the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, so it proved a little bit too difficult in the end, but what a fixture that we, we get. Munster versus Leinster, as you say, full whack, and everyone out with a, a point to prove. Munster feeling that they're on a bit of a uh, a wave of momentum in, in the wake of that Clermont win in particular so it's going to be really fascinating can't wait for that game yeah Murray dead right Bernard to point out the uh, the sort of flaws in the plan in that uh, Ulster and Connacht are, are left without games and I was probably being a bit insular in my excitement as well um, thinking about it maybe with a monster cap on more so than in a, a broader context for Irish rugby uh, that said I suppose look Ulster and Connacht are losing fixtures that that might have been relatively meaningless to them anyway uh, like they would have been opportunities probably to yeah. uh, shuffle the deck a little bit and, and give guys a, a bit of game time whereas they might have been previously lacking but as Murray says it, it might work out in their favour it might be a chance to to reset recalibrate and, and when they do kick off again they have that 
little extra window of a break and and could wind up being a good thing stranger things have happened uh, but just to focus on that monster leinster game for the moment uh it i can't remember one feeling bigger actually even though there's no silverware on the line or or a place in a, a pro 14 final on the line uh, sorry, I can't remember one being being bigger in recent years. I mean, clearly you played in bigger ones yourself in Europe. But, uh, you know, just the timing of it, the fact that the Six Nations comes on the back of it, uh, the fact that on paper the gap between the two provinces seems a lot narrower than it has in recent years, albeit we'll find out for sure in, in uh, a couple of weeks' time. Um, it, it I, I'd imagine it's an incredibly exciting prospect as well for the players and coaches to be handed this chance, whereas over Christmas they were kind of bereaved of it. You know, like they would have been looking forward to this match as they tend to, and now it kind of comes back out of nowhere. It's a massive reprieve for them, I'd imagine, in what's been for them and for everyone else in the sport a, a very difficult 10, 11 months. Yeah, absolutely. And look at it, it's definitely going to be two different selections. Oh, sorry, Leinster are going to send their, their best team down there, and uh, whereas... Um, I saw the squad that was traveling on the 26th and it was a very weak Leinster team in terms of missing, you know, a lot of regular first choice players because how it works is um, Munster would have played their first choice against Leinster's second choice. Then Munster would have went to Ulster with a, with a, and rested their internationals and then brought them back for Connacht. You, you basically pick and choose the, the games and generally you pick your best team for, for the home games in that, in that round of three. So, um, this is going to be different. I mean, Leinster's players have had a rest. Um, you know, they've come back and played against Ulster and, and had 40 minutes where they looked a little bit rusty. Um, but I agree with Murray. You know, really impressive how they upped the ante in that third quarter and and just squeezed Ulster and, and you know, found a lot of cracks in, in, in Ulster, which Dan McFarlane would be, you know, using this break to, to try and rectify. But the difference, you know, they, they played two strong teams in the semi-final of the... Of the end of last year's Pro 14, which is back in um, in the autumn, but the reality was, I think Munster and we were very disappointed with Munster's performance that day. But it felt like Munster didn't really have um, confidence or belief they could win, um, and maybe that's harsh. But they just didn't play. They didn't play well. You know, remember it was a game that was uh, featured a huge amount of box kicking, even when you know behind on the scoreboard, and um, didn't really test Leinster greatly but I think the reason I'm excited about it is Munster do look to be in a really good place um you know they've they've had a great win in Claremont which could be a, a turning point for them they found new talent um their attack uh has got much better balance to it um and again you know the fascinating thing is will they trust their their attack against Leinster um or, or or will they you know go back to a more conservative type of game? I, I would like to hope that they will have a cut off them, um, and then it's obviously how Leinster can react to that, and, and can Leinster, you know, go and beat them and, and and quash that kind of optimism or or newfound belief and hope. And and if you're a if you're a team like Leinster who are dominant in uh, in the Pro Fourteen, you know you relish the chance to to I suppose. Um, put the pretenders down back a little bit. And they did that against Ulster. Um, you know, Ulster came on the back of 10 wins in a row in the Pro 14, coming to the RDS, question marks around Leinster. Their big names hadn't played, you know, a, a game for a while. And realistically, I think Ulster would have left a little bit demoralised again because, you know, they got nothing out of the game and they gave Leinster five points. So that's the, that'll be the mindset of Leinster to go down and and, and obviously they need the points for, for the Pro 14 the way the way it's it's falling. But... I just think you know it's a chance for Munster to to get that massive win against the Leinster full strength side, which 
which you know would be huge for them and for Leinster to, I suppose, quieten them down a bit. <laughs> it is a salivating prospect for both teams, Murray. A chance for Munster to kind of rebel against uh, the, the slings and arrows and and of recent years and Leinster's dominance, and a chance for Leinster to step on their throats and quell that rebellion at source in a way down here. But uh, you know, just on the topic of Munster and how they might play the game, it's it's even this I think is is a really interesting thing leading into the game because like. There's always a probably a subconscious a chance on some sort of subconscious level that a, a team will revert to type if you like or or kind of do what they know best. Um, it's it's like retreating into your comfort zone a little bit when you're up against it. Uh, whereas for Munster, they know for sure that that won't work <laughs> based on the last three four years. There's absolutely zero point in them reverting to type if you know what I mean. Um, the game it like when they played Leinster in in quick succession twice towards the end of last season the game where they did play expansively against an admittedly sort of different prospect as far as Leinster were concerned in terms of personnel was far more successful for them than when they uh, played more conservatively looked to utilize the kick chase a little bit more in the semi-finals so there's actually nearly evidence to the, to the contrary for them that there's evidence that if they do trust what they've been trying to build over this uh, course of this season so far they might at least make more inroads against Leinster do you imagine that the Claremont game again which everybody keeps coming back to could be that turning point for them where they this was a game in which it, it felt like it did click and therefore the temptation to revert to what they used to do might it might not even necessarily be there anymore yeah well like what's the definition of insanity isn't it doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results I think we've got beyond that point as Bernard rightly points out like the the previous way of doing it hasn't got the results there have to be tweaks not a massive drastic shift and th- that's not what we're saying about Munster they're slight tweaks they've got a few nice new starter plays they've got some nice little shapes that they're running off the rook in terms of those kind of little vertical stacks we're seeing we're seeing those tip on passes the link passes from the likes of Tygburn and Kevin O'Byrne the last day even where they're doubling up those tip on passes little Little intricacies like that are making them more of a dangerous team. Variety in their kicking game as well, I think, is one. Um, and they have those different tools now to, to potentially challenge Leinster in different ways. We, we've got to see that. Definitely they're aware of it. And, and they've, they've, they've been hyper aware of their limitations, I suppose, in the previous defeats in those big games. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. As well as loads of motivated individual players like Ty Byrne continuing his really brilliant run of form and making a statement. As we say, the Six Nations... It's right there. The, the squad's going to be named the week after, in fact, a couple of days after this game. So there's a massive onus for guys to to make a big statement. I know we talk about heads to head, head to heads as being kind of meaningless. You often don't even come into contact with the, the guy wearing the same jersey for the opposition team. But being dominant in a, in a scenario, in a situation like that is massive because you want to be starting for Ireland. You want to be on the bench. You want to be in that squad first and foremost. And there are a number of areas for, for Andy Farrell to make big calls in um, as he kind of whittles down the numbers compared to what he had to, to work with in, in autumn and, and the bigger kind of range of games there. So yeah, fascinating to see how that pans out. And with the Six Nations, just how it rolls out. As things stand, they're insisting that things are going to go ahead as has been scheduled in terms of the teams traveling to each other on those dates. The French government as I'm sure people have read, have asked for a few more assurances on the COVID-19 protocols in England and Ireland for those away games. But it does seem we're, we're going to shift towards um, trying to get those games played as planned. Obviously, things can change very quickly, but 
um, yeah, fingers crossed that we'll have that uh, kind of run of games to to look forward to and to discuss over the next few weeks as well. Um, and yeah, you're, you're you know this final trial is what it is, and and it's a big moment for a lot of guys to make their point. Yeah, Munster Leinster is is definitely the one benefit or one of few benefits in the updated calendar, but. Obviously, teams missing out. We've mentioned Ulster and Connacht the, uh, on the topic of the Six Nations. The women's team won't, won't get their chance to, to uh, compete this time around, it seems. Um, and again, it's just collateral. Like uh, I feel really sorry for this team, actually, because like the, literally their last Six Nations were, were, was affected by this. You know, like it, it feels like a really kind of long-running thing now for them. Um, I, I obviously understand to an extent uh, the nature of it being different to the men's competition. I know people at home... Um, might kind of think well if you can pull it off for the men and if you're sort of driving or striving for equality then how can you not pull it off for the women but um, it is slightly different in that say for the Irish team for example the players aren't professional therefore it's it's very difficult to to put, have them in a, a bubble type environment when they all have individual day jobs and so on it, it is a different kettle of fish and it's just look I know people are going through an awful lot worse than not being able to play sport but uh, for this team <sighs> it just it puts a, a complete spanner in their plans like and um ultimately to just not be able to, to line out for your country you know it's a short career and i'd imagine for a lot of players it's uh i'd imagine a lot of them are just distraught bernard at the moment in the sense that like you know to have uh basically a, a, a lack of international rugby for them in a calendar year you know yeah no it's very tough and, and particularly i suppose seeing the um you know the, the men's game uh continuing through through the autumn cup etc and obviously it looks like we're going to have the six nations but like and some of, some of them are working on the front line you know claire malloy and, and linda dujang and um you know i saw them they had a camp i think two weekends ago and and you can imagine just the, the excitement to be to be back together and preparing for um a six nations and i thought they started to show some progress um last in the games we saw them last season it's a it's a long time to to go without without games but i suppose the only the only, I suppose, positive is it hasn't been cancelled. It's it's been postponed, and and hopefully when when numbers improve and and you know the vaccine, um, it starts to um you know get a higher percentage of people vaccinated, they can play it in in April or and and get to to represent our country and, and get to to grow because um yeah it's it must be incredibly difficult for them. But look at the reality is that the, the fortunately the uh, the money isn't um the same in the men's and women's game and the resources that are put into it so putting the irish senior men's team into a bubble for for six seven weeks you know charter flights um in and out um and all the all the necessary protocols that that go around you know getting that competition played um costs a lot of money and and i just don't see how how they can how they can do the same for 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 the women's team given the fact that you know they all have other commitments in terms of work study etc um plus as i said uh, the amount of money it costs to, to, to run those bio bubbles yeah on a, on a sort of a more professional level if you like even even though we're not necessarily talking about professional players individually for adam griggs as well murray and um and his staff like i'd imagine definitely there's a sense of frustration there in that like they would have had plans to progress like and we've seen elements of it and signs of it but to sort of be denied that opportunity presumably after putting in an awful lot of work uh, towards it uh, is difficult for them as well and and just in a kind of a more macro sense in terms of the actual development of the team 
like you're not going to develop when you're not playing games it's it's kind of it does feel like they're uh, in purgatory a little bit at the moment um, albeit as Bernard says look this tournament could be played later in the year and it'll be all smiles and <laughs> everyone will be delighted to be able to see it again but uh, just for the moment it feels like you know uh, look I think everyone's going through it. it it sort of feels like time wasted even though it's unavoidable you know just in terms of a, a team's pathway yeah it's the reality for them and for everyone else in in the women's game i suppose and if rugby players are good at one thing it's getting on with things like moving on to the next focus i suppose clearly they don't have that nailed down in the calendar yet but they've been working hard behind the scenes working away and i would say improving on the training room getting a better understanding exactly what they're going to do what you're going to end up with here hopefully all going well is a very intense few months of rugby they've also got their world cup qualifier they're not in that competition yet uh, that was due to happen in December most recently. It got postponed where they're trying to get their, their place in the 2021 World Cup, which is due to happen in New Zealand in, in um, September, October time, like later this year. So you've got a Six Nations, you've got that qualifier, and then hopefully you've got a World Cup. So listen, they hopefully will get a really good run of fixtures leading into a World Cup and will be able to make a dent there. Um, they'll continue working hard and and the programme is really professionally run. Um, and a, like from everything I hear, the squad has stayed really tight and really communicative and, and working together in that sense. So fingers crossed when things get back up and running, they'll have been working just as hard, if not harder than, than everyone else in the game. Uh, and all going well, as I say, we'll get a brilliant run of fixtures of women's rugby. Who knows what it's going to be like? Yeah, it could all be pushed back further again and, and the World Cup and, and all that may be in danger. But as they look forward now, I've no doubt it'll be with a positive mindset looking forward to that kind of stuff and, and trying to keep improving in the meantime. Yeah, a run of games like that as well can be the absolute makings of a team. It could transpire to work in their favour at the end of the day. Under-20s as well have gone a, a similar way in terms of the championship for the moment. But probably the bigger news on the under-20s front is a, a new head coach. Um, what, what can we expect, Bernard, from Kieran? And, uh, you know, you, you probably, I presume you know him. I, I don't know. Am I just presuming you know everybody in rugby? But um, yeah, similar age no, profile. No, no, <laughs> we're just similar age profile. We would have been around the Irish under-20s together. Um, uh, Naz... Um, He's a, he's a great fella, uh, was London Irish. Uh, and in fairness, he's actually done a, an incredible job with that Ulster Academy. Um, and I know that Ulster get a bit of slack around the senior team, how many ex-Leinster players or how many players have um, come in from, from elsewhere, uh, particularly their, their forwards. But um, I've been really impressed over the last couple of years with some of that young talent that's starting to come through. They haven't all pushed, you know, to 50, being 50 cap, uh, 50 appearance guys yet, but... Um, likes of Balatloon, you know, I, I saw um, Murray did a very good piece on McElroy the weekend, you know, both centres, um, you know, uh, uh, the young centres coming through are, um, are look human and, and more look really good. Yeah, I just think there's, there's uh, Neil Doak's son is, is coming through now. So the, he's done a good job of, of, of rebuilding that, you know, um, and he's been part of Noel McNamara's uh, coaching team for, you know, for the last couple of years. So he's, you know, he, and, and they've done very well. The Irish 20s have, have been great to watch um, and have, have uh, played great rugby and been successful. So having somebody internal, I think, step up um, who who knows what works with that with that age grade is is a, is a positive. And um, yeah, I, I think he'll do a good job. Very calm, very quiet, quite spoken, 
um, former scrum half, obviously, and uh, understands understands the game. So a good appointment, I think. There's there's a definite sense of continuity there, Murray, which is a, a good thing when. Well, at least people who've watched the 20s over the last number of years will, will know it to be a good thing based on what we've seen and um, I suppose the question then is like are there well, I'm sure there will be but do you know the areas in which Kieran Campbell might uh, differ a little bit or deviate from what McNamara has been doing I would imagine as you say it'll be it'll be quite seamless in terms of the succession and and I suppose there's there are kind of key performance targets there with the 20s anyway, as it being a massive part of the development program and pushing player skills. As we've seen in the in the recent couple of seasons, they've played an attractive style of rugby that tests players and allows them to express themselves. And that's really positive, as well as doing all the basics. I think they've got a, a really good balance to their game. So I'd imagine that Campbell has been a part, big part of that anyway um, and will continue that. Obviously, Dennis Leamy is a really interesting addition coming in as a defence coach. He's been working with the Leinster Academy um, as an EPDO, like player development officer in the last couple of years and is really kind of highly rated as a coach. He seems to be taking the kind of logical steps and impressing along the way. Obviously, he's got a big kind of CV as a player, um, but certainly learning is 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 kind of like as he goes as a coach. I remember playing against one of his Clomel teams a good few years ago at this stage and they actually looked really well coached and well prepared um, and he was pretty vocal from the sideline as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's um, added to to the group, and there's a freshness to that as well. It, it adds something different. The players will definitely look forward to working with him. Noel McNamara has done a really good job there. We we should say, obviously, a Grand Slam in 2019, and they were pretty much you know looking good for another Grand Slam this year before it was all cancelled. So he's clearly a coach of real promise. He's working as the Leinster Academy coach, but it wouldn't be any great surprise to see him kind of rising through the ranks. Um, from what we understand, he's work. He works with the senior team, um, in Leinster often enough anyway. Uh, and a really kind of studious, interesting guy actually to chat to and to interview. He's not got a big professional playing background, obviously, but he's worked his way up through Glenstall and Clongos and done really well there. Every player who's worked with him, kind of flags that he's done really good work with them and, and helped their game develop. Uh, he's obviously a kind of teaching background so he has that side of it and, and obviously we know loads of coaches who have that teaching background he clearly gets the kind of art of coaching so it'll be really fascinating to see his career uh, continue and I suppose it's, it is like it's great for people to have brilliant rugby playing backgrounds when they come into coaching clearly there are big advantages to that but it's also great to see a guy who doesn't have that can can kind of rise up through the game and, and make an impact Um so yeah it kind of makes sense and that's in, in that He's done his three years there. He's done a really good job and, and maybe he moves on to, to different things. As Bernard says, Kieran Campbell's done great work with, with Ulster as well. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see how they continue the good work that, that's happening at 27 and also how just that age grade of rugby comes out of COVID. You know, a lot of young guys haven't played rugby. They haven't played matches for nearly a year now. It's It's been it's been a tough time for them, for schools players, uh, clubs players obviously as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how I suppose the game rebounds out of that long lull. That's actually a great question that we got from Finn O'Boyle in the WhatsApp group, Bernard. And just as Murray brought it up there, I was scrolling down frantically to try and find it. But I might throw it to you. And there's no better man than yourself as well, with with your finger on the on the pulse of sort of grassroots to be able to answer it. But uh, Finn was saying, how much of a setback is the pandemic for elite underage setups and upcoming prospects? 
have they been massively impacted training and development wise with some of them who were expected to make it not getting uh, game time at AIL or are they all in the same boat and it's luck plus survival of the fittest and also uh, Finn asks will the school's juveniles crop in two years time suffer from the lack of rugby over say that the two years that they might lose in the meantime yeah I think it will it is a setback and it's a big worry from from a um a talent uh, pathway point of view, uh, like realistically, if if there's no rugby played um, this the, the, or this spring in in, in schools, um, you're basically going to make decisions on who goes into sub academies, etc., um, based on form or from maybe two years ago, and it's it's such a, a part of your career where six months can make a massive difference you know guys can pass each other out or guys can regress so it is going to be very very difficult for them um the opportunity for some of them may be lost who who had been late developers but um maybe won't get the chance to to show and because they weren't in the system um it's going to be difficult for them to to prove that so i think it is a uh, very worrying but um hopefully they'll they'll get to play uh some some type of competition as possible i think the guys are already in the system you know it's a year without rugby for some of those young players but uh it's a year without matches they you know i think that the four provinces will be very good at making sure that physically um they're developing um you know they're, they're building up their robustness and any any areas of weakness they have and they still would be you know training in their bubbles so you know the leinster academy uh, are still training so um they might be get to play the level of games they they would have got from playing all Ireland league or, or um you know playing those a games in the british irish cup but it's not cold turkey for them but whereas for obviously the amateur players it, it's uh it's it's much harder and i look at, i know everyone likes to play games but um the at least the, the players who are already in the in the pathway system um are getting some exposure to, to training stimulus um which is obviously an advantage but look at it's it's terrible everyone is in the same boat but it's just um you know i'd be worried about uh the numbers of people who come back playing um you know if you haven't played rugby as i'm not talking about elite non-elite if you haven't played rugby for a year and a half or you've played in fits and starts you know will you um Will that grow your love for the game, or or will it hamper it? Um, and that's uh, that's obviously that that'll be that'll be disappointing for the domestic game. Just in in terms of uh, the talent production line and pathways, Murray, and to follow up on a point Bernard made there about the fact that six months even can make such a difference and you and I would have both seen it particularly yourself because he went on to play for Munster at underage level but guys that you would have been playing within school in say transition year slash fourth year if it was obligatory um, you might have earmarked them yourself guys on your team or guys playing for other schools that you were playing against or, or indeed at a club level as well where that guy's definitely going to go on and play for Munster or going to go on and play for his province. And by the time you got to sixth year, when you were 17, 18, the guy might not even be in the first team uh, for his school or a club. And other guys who uh, were playing BC's rugby had, had put their hands up. We've heard the story plenty of times over the years from players who've gone on to carve out brilliant uh, professional careers. I think Donnick O'Callaghan being one was a, an extremely late bloomer in, in the school I went to. So like when you don't have matches in order for that sort of uh, natural process to, to play out. Um, how do coaches then, or guys involved in talent ID, mitigate against that? Because for the players, unfortunately, it's actually a similar, it's kind of a, uh, 
microcosmic version of of say their education now in the sense that you're trading off past glories in order to to be evaluated by the time you're leaving school so from a coaching point of view is there anything you can do really other than basically uh, you, uh, determine your opinion on something you would have seen you know 18 months ago or whatever i would guess there will be a lot of that of um and to be fair most of the guys say who are in six year they're already earmarked scouted assessed their strengths their weaknesses there's a lot of dialogue there between the schools and, and leinster a lot more than certainly there you see back years ago um so so that kind of level there'd be an awareness of the player but you're so right it is a concern for guys who have those ambitions to go into professional rugby and not have the chance to prove it in, in some of those big games we generally watch earlier on in the year i suppose um and they'd be training hard and playing away now and preparing for for cups and all that kind of thing as well as probably the guys who miss out on say the leinster academy where it's unbelievably tough to get into or even sub academy rather i should say uh, players who might have been attracting attention from another province and, and gone to a sub-academy there potentially. So there's a couple of tiers of it. Um, but yeah, I would imagine there'd be a lot, of course, based on you know what we saw a year ago, over a year ago at this stage. Um, and that is a concern. It's it's tough for lads. It's the reality of it. Um, and definitely that developmental thing is, is a concern. I suppose many other nations are dealing with that as well. Unfortunately, for everyone else, the Kiwis are playing away and their kids are going to get better and better. Um, but maybe there'll be other advantages out of it. Maybe, like, you know, as Bernard says, some of those schools are training away, like really have been training away really professionally um, before, you know, the kind of severe lockdowns and, and been in the gym and guys are posting, you know, all-time PBs for, for athletic stuff. So there's those little advantages where maybe they're getting a little bit of a leg up there when at times at 20s level you've seen Irish kids against maybe the English and, and there's been a mismatch there so there there's potentially a, a positive with that but overall it is a concern that they're missing out on, on a developmental kind of an identification as you say phase of their careers or possible careers and, and fingers crossed we, we get that back as, as things hopefully improve over the next few months But ju- just to get into what will be like this weird sort of culture shift for players themselves right could you see a type of situation where players are nearly having to go to uh, club staff or pr- provincial staff and like like almost an NFL style or college style system where you're sending like videos like uh, <laughs> kind of, like I'm not even joking but like um, highlight reels and and sort of like all of the sort of PBs to which Murray alludes and stuff for guys who might not have been on that radar necessarily 18 months ago or a year ago who feel as though they might be there now like is there any is there any sort of a i guess a pathway for them to make themselves known when they're not playing games um yeah look and obviously you will have people and this won't be this is this is nothing to do with the pandemic who who um take it on uh, um on their own responsibility to contact you know heads of academies etc and flag their potential um but i i think the best the best source of of keeping up to date for um you know for the provincial guys like dennis leamy etc and leinster is is just having really close contact with with the with the schools and clubs uh, and the coaches there because you know they'll see that development uh firsthand and that happens a lot i mean there's regular contact um back and forth um around you know how's your squad looking anyone developing um anything we can do to help etc so i don't think they'll they'll need to go down that route and and late developers will especially if they really change physically um you know that will be flagged that'll be noticeable to the to the clubs and schools coaches or the development officers who look after those 
those regional hubs um uh, and as soon as they get back into into hopefully uh, normality um you know no one will lose out but it's just it's the fear of losing out i think is the uh, is a hard thing for for players because they always would have said well look at you know if i get to play and i and i play well enough i'll get picked up or if i get a trial etc uh, you know it's my my opportunity to play well whereas that's that's out of their hands a little bit now so it's kind of it's it's uh it's going to be interesting when when things get back to normal uh how how all the provinces try and try and find talent again you know and give them an opportunity to to play whether it's um you know bigger squads for for regional camps in the summer or whether it's uh, a load of trial games etc i'm not sure how they'll do it but they, they'll find a way and and because you know they're 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 judged on finding talent and developing it so um they they're aware of the issue and and I'm sure they've got some kind of contingency plan to to try and overcome it. It'll straighten itself out. Just sticking vaguely with academy systems for the moment, Murray, you had an update on Ben Healy this morning, and it seems likely now that he will stay at Munster with Glasgow signing Duncan Weir and an offer being made to Healy. So I guess another situation that is on the precipice of sorting itself out after probably a concerning number of weeks for a lot of Munster fans. Yeah, I, I think there's been an offer made to him. I'm not sure whether it's been accepted or whether there's still a bit of road left in that, but certainly a positive that the contracting here has reopened over the past fortnight and we can get those concrete offers. Um, you know, players and agents get those concrete offers um, and see where they're see where they're going next and make some decisions um, based on actual offers rather than just kind of chatting to, to the provinces. Um, it's open up across the board. Like 50% of Irish players professional arts players are out of contract in June some of the coaches and assistant coaches obviously as well so there's a whole lot of work to go on now over the next couple of weeks a whole lot of contracting going on we had a members newsletter about it um, this morning as you say um, and just how I suppose it's a tricky window obviously the RFU are kind of flagging that obviously the financial situation continues to be extremely difficult and a lot of people are probably facing cuts and shorter contracts than might have been the case otherwise so it's a it's a tough time for people and making those decisions and seeing what else is out there available for you but uh, yeah like Irish rugby has always done a pretty good job of holding on to the players of potential and the players at senior level that they really want to keep Uh, obviously a few have slipped through the net but um, that's the big job for David Nusifora now and the provinces who are going into that contracting phase uh, just to make sure that there's not a great upheaval over the summer. I'm sure there will be a few that, you know, they can't keep everyone, particularly on the same salaries and um, same remuneration that they were on before. So there's a balancing act there that the RFU definitely have to get right so they don't leave themselves in, in any way compromised. But I think everyone's just pleased that the ball is finally rolling here um, and hopefully we'll get more clarity around a whole host of players and coaches over the next week and, and a couple of months. Yeah, Bernard, if Munster fans were uh, concerned over the last couple of weeks, you'd imagine Connacht fans would be on tenterhooks because the future of their head coach isn't quite uh, tied down necessarily yet. And look, they're clearly going to do their best, as Murray has mentioned in a piece just before we came on air, to retain the services of Andy Friend into next season at least. But for him personally... Uh, there may be other options on the table. We don't know. He's certainly put himself in a shop window or, or done his reputation no harm. Uh, definitely bolstered it, you'd imagine, over the last uh, couple of years. So it might not be so straightforward as 
putting a contract in front of him and expecting expecting him to sign it, they might actually face a battle to keep him, uh, as will be the case for some of the provinces uh, in relation to players over the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think from an Ulster point of view, just looking at how they tied Dan down, um, that's going to help with the contract talks because often players will... We'll come back and say, look at you know, um, I'm you know what's happening coaching wise. That you know, you know that if you're in favour with a coach, you know if the environment is good, um, the team is on the right track, um, you're going to be there thereabouts for silverware. It's it's a much easier decision than you just look at the, uh, the financial um terms in terms of the the salary and the duration. So, um, I think Connacht have managed to handle that, and and uh, sorry, Ulster have handled that. The challenge now for Connacht is to is to tie down Andy Friend if they can. Um, obviously, I think he's been a, a great success. You know, he's 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 re uh, reinvigorated him after obviously a difficult period under under Kieran Keane and, and and probably whoever came in under after Pat was going to struggle to be honest. But um, that makes what didn't really happen. And, and Andy has built him up. He's very positive. He um, he's created a really good environment. He's bringing through young Irish coaches um, and. Yeah, I think it'd be great to be able to keep him. But having said that, I mean, and this is probably something that um, is probably more relevant now, um, you know, post-COVID or in COVID, is coaches who travel the world like Andy Friend has done um, and have had a huge amount of movement. I think he's had 13 or 14 different house moves since since they left uh, since they left Australia. And, and at some stage, they may want to get back home. And particularly in COVID, when you've got families studying you know, across the uh, across the world, um, it might be anything to do with the uh, with the job satisfaction. It might be anything to do with the financial end of it. Just maybe, it, it might be time to go home, and and that's something that obviously only Andy and his wife and his family can can decide. But um, I suppose from a kind of point of view, all they can do is put their best foot forward. Um, I think he sees the potential in the team for sure, um, and you know he's been part of driving that, but. Um, it's not often it's it's not often as simple as uh, contract value at, at some stage you know family well, hopefully family always comes first but family matters come into consideration and, and can um, can help steer that decision so you know I think from from a kind of point of view it'd be great to get him tied down and obviously it has to make sense for for him and, and I think if I'm, if a serves me correctly I think Johan is is up as well in, in Munster um but uh, I'm not sure sh- I thought he was up this summer as well. So there's probably, um, well, look, there's definitely one province who who are just trying to get that finalised, and and that will give um, everybody, you know, kind of some some clarity going forward. And just to go back to Murray's t- Murray's uh, chat around contracts, yeah, everything is rolling now, and and uh, but it's 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 an inexact science, and and um, the problem is for for someone to be able to negotiate, or for them to, for one of the provinces to be able to make an offer. Um, to a, a player it sometimes depends on someone else accepting or refusing an offer um so and normally what players like to do and coaches like to do is they like to have time to reflect on, a, on an offer but the reality is because we're starting you know where we're starting in january and fellas are up in, in june um i think you know it's it's unprecedented the pressure that will be on um players you know to, to either make a decision on their offer um because as I said, that has a domino effect um, for other players um, in the squad, and because you would imagine, you know, the provinces know now what their budget is, um, and I do believe there's contingency planning in in terms of some of the offers, um, you know, that potentially 
that offer might be less in 2022 if if things don't improve in terms of uh, fans and stadiums, etc. And that's that's something else you have to plan as well. You know, it's not your standard, um, you know, 24 month contract and you're guaranteed X. I think there is um, some clauses in it or that may reduce your 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 pay further. So um, agents are going to be busy. Players are going to have to you know decide pretty quickly. Um, and I suppose the DORs are just going to want to try and get that squad, their squads, you know, nailed down as much as possible by, I suppose, you know, the end of February and, and you know, know where they're going next year. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's an interesting point. Just before we, I, I ask you about it, Murray, um, I t- Van Grand is tied down, I think, until next summer, just for anyone listening there, just in case we put the heebie-jeebies into any Monster fans uh, in the meantime. But, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, I just wasn't sure. I thought it was, I thought it was 2021. 20, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I think the extension he signed last year. I think I, I, I'll double check it in the meantime. But uh, just on your point, Bernard, I might throw to, to Murray there because I think it's a re- it's a really good point about how it, th- there's an actual decision to be made for friend. And I think quite often the presumption when you're sort of just reading reports about these things is that the decision has already been made, and there's a bit of kind of cat and mouse about money, one way or the other. You know, like that friend might know. He's going to stay, and there's a obviously a sort of a negotiative process in which he has to do as as well as he can for himself contractually, or maybe that he has decided to leave, and that Connacht they're throwing everything at him in order to try and make him stay or everything they can. When in reality, it's a complex situation for him and his family. He might not actually have a concrete decision made yet, and is is pot- potentially open to both possibilities. Uh, so there's a kind of a a personal pressure on him as well, to which Bernard alluded there that has to be taken into account that probably often isn't taken into account yeah they're big decisions for him and for everyone and it's such a strange time to be making such a big decision when there's lack of certainty about everything about how long this is going to last about when you might be able to get back home and and visit people on a more consistent basis so it must be a, a tricky time in that regard um i suppose just in terms of friend like he's been here for three years as bernard says a long stint away from home on top of the other stints and i don't think anyone could begrudge him if he decided to be closer to home or to take another offer that interested him elsewhere he he definitely has as you say um increased his i suppose his reputation again with the good work he's done in connacht and and the signs of building there it's clear enough anytime i interview him anyway that he's really enjoying and is passionate about what connacht are doing and what they're building as bernard says there's a great coaching staff of irish coaches around him who you would imagine if he was to leave they, they would be part of that succession and and keeping what they've built rolling but totally they'll be trying to hang on to him he's done a great job the players seem to just rave about him every time we ask and the atmosphere there is is really positive he's made some really good signings as well that can't be underrated the ability to go into the transfer market and and get some good bargains and most of them have have turned up really well and and proven themselves and built their own reputations as well so kind of probably have to manage that side of it as well in terms of the recontracting um so yeah there's loads up in the air in rugby at the moment in life at the moment um and there are some big calls to be made um but as bernard says getting that balancing act from an rfu point of view is really important even between the squads they'll be looking at how are we stacked in midfield across ireland like their obvious obvious prime focus is the national team and the succession there they'll be trying to balance that there may be a bit of interprovincial transfer movement I, i'd fancy a bit of that to happen again because recent moves for example, Wooten and Oliver and, and Arnold going to Connacht have worked out really well and, and players probably see that opportunity more than ever as we've discussed a little bit. So there's loads of road ahead in this and we'll be hearing loads and we'll be chatting about loads, I've no doubt. Um, so yeah, nothing concrete quite yet, but 
loads going on behind the scenes. One fellow who has made a concrete decision is Ian Keatley, or it was, I guess, a mutual decision or a decision of mutual benefit, perhaps, as it's going to transpire, because his departure from Benetton will probably do him no harm, Bernard, uh, just having a, a quick glance at what's happening over there. It does feel as though the, the wheels are coming off a little bit, and it's very disappointing for them, I have to say, and even just as somebody who... Um, like most Irish rugby fans is really interested in the Pro 14 it, t- having them as nearly a realistic playoff prospect or, or kind of a team that looked as though they might build to become a contender and even thinking of the potential positive repercussions for Italian rugby in that um, for it to go south uh, in the manner in which it seems to be is just a, a big disappointment for I think for rugby fans on this in this neck of the woods generally but particularly over there yeah no they've regressed massively and they've gone from not um, not just not being playoff contenders anymore to to really being also rans and, and um becoming cannon fodder and and it's strange because they were they built so so much momentum and the hardest part is to get that positive momentum going and and kieran crowley obviously had signed for two more years um you know we read in the paper this week that they're bringing that um they're cutting that short and he's going to finish up it in in june um and yeah i i, I just really you know he, like i think for ian's point of view if, he, if he's not happy there if, if things aren't going well if he's not playing which he hasn't really been um i think that the best thing to do is to get out now and, and go and and find a club you know there's rumors he's going to glasgow um if he can play somewhere for five or six months um that's going to give him a better chance of obviously getting a contract to, uh, at the other side of that and he's a lot to offer um he's a huge amount to offer he'd be a great signing for anybody premiership top 14 um and quality tens like him are very rarely on the market um you know mid season so i think there's no you know that that's a good decision to make and uh um i'm sure he's enjoyed and, and learned a lot and had a great experience living in italy and being part of you know benetton you know turning the corner um but obviously that that journey's over but i think from an italian point of view i i'm just um frustrated with italian italian rugby to be honest in terms of you know international level um domestic level uh in terms of the pro 14 you know they're just not competitive and um i would be in favor like the amount of money that's been spent in italian rugby over the last 20 years the, the amount of big name coaches they brought in the um uh, the investment that's been made and just haven't uh got better and you know we know now going into a, t- a six nations game that the opposition are, are more than likely going to get a bonus point and um that's not good and, and i think i'm not saying that it should be kicked out of the six nations but i think that least should have to play a playoff um to to warrant their their place there um and it would give huge hope to the to the to the rest of europe um that if they got their act together they would have a crack at getting it up to the to big league and look at i know rome is a great place to travel and, and all that stuff and, and um but and, and if they're the best if they win the playoff they deserve to to stay in it but i just think having that um having that guaranteed entry to the six nations hasn't led to any real improvement and um likewise you know the two teams in the pro 14 don't contribute a lot um or aren't contributing a lot at this moment yeah don't take rome from us birch that's that's yeah, all we have trip, i know <laughs> i want to mess up i totally agree with you it's it's actually crushingly disappointing because benetton looked sustainable and consistent it looked like a genuine stride forward really enjoyed watching them when they were competitive when they were pushing into the playoffs and they had a really solid founded game with a bit of flair in there as well the wingers obviously Ioanni and, and Tabiara were excellent to watch 
but it's just proven to be a bit of a flash in the pan again. Obviously, the under-20s and underage teams have made progress, and that's positive, but this is just so disappointing. And for me, I agree with Bernard. It's it's getting to the point where you're running out of patience. How long do Italy get to be more competitive and make a genuine stride? We saw what Georgia did with very poor preparation and limited preparation um, coming into the Autumn Nations Cup. They obviously gave Ireland a good scare and a rattle, and clearly they have some young talent especially emerging now on top of what has always been there um, and you think okay maybe if you put this amount of resource into Georgian rugby where it's obviously a, a big deal um, how good and how competitive could they be 20 years down the line they'd argue that they would be much more competitive now so it is really frustrating and I think pretty concerning for the game up at that Six Nations level as well hopefully Benetton can steady the ship um, post Kieran Crowley leaving but as things stand it's it's a mess there 9 out of 9 defeats in, in the Pro 14 um, and Zebra beating them back to back credit to Zebra for those excellent results but it's a sign of the clear regression and a worry for Italian rugby <sighs> Yeah, it is grim. It is grim. Hopefully one of those two teams can go again. Maybe Zebra. Maybe Zebra will turn their own corner. They, they, uh, there are green shoots there. You never know. Um, one last point of discussion, and unfortunately it's uh, in relation to another existential crisis facing the game, and that is back chat towards referees. Bernard, um, were you relatively content with Cole Sinclair's two-game ban for uh, dropping an F-bomb uh, in a premiership match? Did it feel like a Fair enough sanction uh, over the top or perhaps even a little bit too lenient. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say probably lenient. I, I look at, I know he, I know Kyle, I've met him a few times, really good fella, very, uh, very honest. You know, he doesn't um, think about what he's going to say, obviously, and uh, um, transparent. Um, and look, at he, he said it, he apologised for it afterwards. I think he deserved to get banned because um, you, can't, you can't do that. And I actually, I do think that they're starting to become a lot more um, tetchiness and and uh, maybe a lack of respect for referees um, across the board. And so I think anything they need to do to clamp and tighten that up um, is is important. And uh, um, he overstepped the mark completely. Uh, yeah, two weeks. And, and ironically, you uh, Funny enough, he can he doesn't he won't miss any England games, um, which is quite convenient. I think the way the ban worked out because um, uh, how how they how they phrased it. So it's not the ultimate punishment, but look at that was out of order. Uh, he would have he played with with um with the, the referee actually Dick uh, Dixon mm. is it? Yeah, he played with the referee. Apparently, they're good friends. So um you know maybe he felt that familiarity made uh made it a little bit less um of a crime. But no, I think it's. It was, it was picked up clearly on Mike. It's unacceptable, you know. Um, two weeks is probably lenient, to be honest. Yeah, there is a chance. So if he if he's selected in the England squad for the Six Nations, he, he'd miss the Italy game. But again, it's even at that, you're you're not missing much. I don't think they're going to require him, uh, as we've just been talking about in relation to Italian rugby. Uh, Murray Bernard reckons that maybe the ban is too lenient. I, I think there's loads of um, there's actually loads in this that we can talk about. We won't spend too long on it because we're we're coming towards the end of the show, but. Um, my my concern would be if that if if you get uh banned for longer than two games for sort of verbal abuse if you like or kind of just mi- misstepping or overstepping the mark uh, communicatively towards a referee you're veering into the territory of nearly equating physical damage with 
you know not borderline hurt feelings at most and i know there is a wider kind of uh, conversation around like the respect that uh, the game demands for referees and and to see that kind of tarnished is concerning maybe sets a dangerous precedent and so on but i just don't know if if a guy say is getting a say getting four weeks for uh, a dangerous tackle a high tackler uh, and whatever and even allowing for mitigating factors in past behavior and so on more than two games for uh dropping an f-bomb uh would seem excessive to me like it's maybe a difficult balance to find but i don't know if you can kind of go beyond what they've given to sinkler at the moment yeah i was curious to see what it would be and i probably kind of came down to expecting it to be about this um you know not too lengthy a ban but clear reminder that this just isn't acceptable like it's not the right way to speak to anyone in any walk of life regardless whether you're on a pitch or not um, and it's a sharp reminder, I suppose, for Sinclair and for other players as well. Like it has probably slipped in, as Bernard says, a lot more questioning and narkiness. Um, and it's just a nice reminder that, listen, the ref's got a bloody hard job. Like no one want to be that fella in the middle. And if you're roaring um, curse words at him, it doesn't help at all. There's a way to go about it. There's a captain there to question decisions. I think referees in general, like the level of communication is improving all the time and they're open to having those discussions. But roaring that at him doesn't help anyone um, and I think two weeks is a good little reminder for the game let's just not have this uh, on the pitch at just all. on the fact that it does seem to be creeping in that little bit more Bernard so I have I would theorise that it's down to the fact that actually referees to a degree are okay with a little bit of dialogue in a game and say going back 10-15 years ago there, it was very sort of authoritarian or, or nearly autocratic if that's the right word whereby it, it really had to be the captain who consulted with a referee and anybody who even really tried to talk to them in any casual sense was probably reminded that it needed to be the captain and over the course of the last decade or more it feels as though referees are a little bit more open to just you know an actual constructive conversation with the guy as they're jogging towards a line out or whatever it's it's not quite he's not quite as inaccessible as he used to be maybe it's uh there's an element then of of giving players an inch and they're starting to, to take not quite a mile but they're they're stretching that distance out a little bit more but i do think there needs to be a, a, a again and a balance in a way because as Murray says, right, if you're saying to somebody, oh, are you effing serious or whatever, it's not necessarily the way you'd want to see people communicating in general life, not to mind on a rugby pitch. But equally, I think the old fashioned sort of style of you literally can't talk to the referee for fear of, of reprimand is, is kind of an unhealthy image in its own way. Like it doesn't really represent what you'd want from society either. Like if people are like polite conversation between two people should be OK. They're, they're grown adults on a, on a pitch and to make them look like children where they're being sort of scolded to me sometimes feels a little bit uncomfortable as well so i don't know is it just a case of that this sinkler ban can actually be that reminder serve as that reminder to players that okay like there there's an element of conversation that can be allowed here but like if you're going to overstep the mark you're, you're going to miss games and maybe it's not quite the the um again the challenge for the game that it was made out to be but just an opportunity to prevent that challenge from rearing its head a little bit yeah i think the light the dialogue um, is really important and I think the really good referees manage that well and, and it might be just you know a, a chat on the way to a line out um, you know a little conversation just saying look careful, watch out for this or the reason I gave away that penalty was because you did this etc so there's no absolutely no harm with that it's when players become aggressive back and uh, and I remember Dylan Hartley got a ban I think for for shouting an obscenity at, uh, at Wayne Barnes um, back you know maybe four or five years ago and um, and I think when you overset the mark, you just need to, 
need to be punished for it so you know it doesn't become a part of the game and if you ever listen to a ref mic at a football game you know there's examples of of where it has passed the, um, the level of respect so absolutely don't think we should go back to where it was 20 years ago where you know it, it was very teacher like but um if they are gonna if you are gonna be in an environment where um the referees are giving you respect by you know communicating with you regularly through the game uh, beyond above and beyond your your status as a pack leader or as a captain well then you just need to understand that you know there's a um there's a commitment on your part to to, to treat them with respect as well fair enough we'll leave it there boys thanks a million cheers bernard cheers gav thank you murray much appreciated as always i i'll just sign off here boys before we, we as in do an actual uh outro sorry but uh thank you to everybody at home for listening thanks for all the questions in the 42 members whatsapp group sorry i didn't get around to more of them uh loads of things to talk about today we'll, we'll might even get a kind of a mailbag done soon so we can get a load of questions uh in and address them uh, members at the 42.e if you want to join the good folks in there and get all of the extra content provided by the 42 we will be back uh actually murray will you be back on monday with own given that there's no rugby over the weekend on this side of the world yeah so the plan on monday is indeed to do a mailbag so um for all the members there get in touch drop us an email murray at 42.e or um on the members whatsapp group myself and own are going to try and answer as many questions as we can there won't be too much Irish rugby action beyond that A match uh, tomorrow so uh, looking forward to that superb we should probably chat more before podcasts uh, <laughs> so I'm not stepping on your toes with, with future plans uh, that's it for us enjoy the rugby over the weekend until Monday well sorry there's no rugby over the weekend enjoy the weekend until Monday or next Thursday mind yourselves take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly.